promote your business or organization on podcast225.com. Podcast225.com is quickly becoming a weekly tradition for Louisiana listeners. Every month, thousands hear the weekly Clay Young Show. Every week, Clay sits with some of the state's most fascinating and entertaining people. Posting your company's logo on the podcast225.com website or having a professionally produced commercial air on The Clay Young Show is a great way to access a loyal and informed audience. Get more information by calling 225-214-1550. That's 225-214-1550. Welcome to The Clay Young Show. Welcome aboard. Glad to have you back for another exciting edition of The Clay Young Show here on podcast. 225.com and on iTunes. And yes, offering you the opportunity now to promote your business or organization on our website or on the show. If you'd like more information, give us a call at the offices of CYE. That's 225-214-1550. We put the site up. It's free. You won't ever have to pay access to get to the show. And we bring in some of the most uh, intriguing Quite frankly, some of the more important people in Louisiana and in the region to talk with you on our candid little digital front porch. So we want to keep that going and we want to add to what we're offering at podcast225.com. So if you'd like to promote your business here, please do so. Our numbers are growing, the number of people subscribing, the number of people who listen every week. And man, I said it last week, I... I'm humbled by it, and I truly appreciate what you're doing, but, man, we're just getting started. We're, we're nowhere near where I want to be with this thing. Let's shake up the audio world with this podcast site, not just my show, but other shows that we'll be following here at podcast225.com. So this week, a pretty big show ahead of us. We're going to be talking with George Sells, former WAFB TV news anchor in Baton Rouge, and he's worked for... ABC Network as well uh, in the past, and he has seen a lot of tragedy covered by media. And last Thursday, the day that this show dropped, that evening, Louisiana took the unfortunate place in the spotlight for another shooting at a public place. And we will talk with George about that Uh, In just a moment. Also, Stephanie Regal with the Baton Rouge Business Report. She is the executive editor there, and she's going to join us to talk about the business climate in South Louisiana and specifically in Baton Rouge. She'll tell you a little bit about where she came from, and we will talk with her about where business is heading here. So won't hold that up much longer. We got a lot to do. Quick break and back with George Sells here on The Clay Young Show. Have you ever wanted to host your own podcast? Coming soon, Clay Young Enterprises and Podcast 225 will be giving you your big chance. You'll be able to use professional broadcast equipment to create a podcast that you can be proud of. You'll have an engineer and a professional show open and close. The Clay Young Show is already considered one of the best podcasts in the state. Get the same audio quality and professional packaging for your very own podcast. Stay tuned for more details. Your chance to have your own show is coming soon. Clay Young here with John Conroy, the founder and owner of Pest Stop Do-It-Yourself Pest Control, now celebrating 22 years in business. And John, let's talk about fleas. You scratching yet? <laughs> Not yet, and I'm trying to avoid it. So how? first of all, why is it so bad right now? Well, I mean, when you have this kind of weather pattern, you're going to have flea problems. You know, I have customers in, in the stores that don't even have pets that have fleas because you mow the yard, you work in the garden, right. you track them in. So right. 
people that think fleas aren't mobile, no, they're very mobile and they'll infest the whole house if you don't get on top of it pretty quick. So you do sell something that can deal with fleas. Yes, and it's a three-step process. You want to treat the pet, you want to treat the house, you want to treat the yard. All right, so how can we find you to get this good stuff? Well, in Metairie, we're located at 3512 Severn Avenue. That's right next door to the Pepper Mill. On the north shore, we're at 1417 North Highway 190. That's in the same shopping center as Sherwin-Williams. On the West Bank, we're on the Palco next to the Harvey Bridge. And in Baton Rouge, we're at 806 O'Neill Lane. Get it done right and do it yourself at Pest Stop. Welcome back to the Clay Young Show. Back with George Sells, former WAFB TV news anchor and uh, formerly with ABC, and he's been all around the, uh, the 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 horn there, chief cook and bottle washer, I guess we can say, right? Yeah. And uh, last week, George, you and I have talked about a great number of stories. Uh, that have happened. In fact, on the two previous visits to the show, you've talked about experience covering tragedy. We talked about 9-11. We talked about Katrina. Well, here in our part neck of the woods uh, last week, a week ago, as this show airs, there was a shooting in Lafayette, Lafayette of all places. John Russell Hauser, a 58-year-old transient, goes into a theater there, the Grand, near, I think, off of Johnston Street in Lafayette, to see uh, the movie Trainwreck. And a comedy, by the way. A comedy, by the way. Uh, and uh, I guess minutes into the video rolling, he stands up and then starts shooting people. And obviously, it's there's a trend that unfortunately is developing here. And the media broke the news late through the night on social media, but by the following morning, it was all over the place. And uh, first, your reaction to that story and the fact that it happened in Louisiana. Uh, a surprise to to neither one. I, my wife, um, when we were working together at WSM Radio in Nashville, we had smaller versions of that, and a guy was holed up in his house in somewhere in Oregon, and she didn't know any better. She was just getting in the news business, and she wanted a sound cut, so she just called the house and talked to the guy. And he was holding his wife and two of his children hostage, and he'd already killed his mother, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the problem with the news coverage over there. When he, when he pulled this stunt, other than what had happened and what we could learn from witnesses, and when I say we, I mean the news media as a group. Right. Uh, that's all we had. And... And we kept rehashing what we had and what we had, what we had, what we had. And that was about it. Mm-hmm. We didn't even have useful pictures. I think, I think Channel 3 over in Lafayette did get a shot of one person being carried out. And I'm, I'm drifting away from the direct thrust of your question. But uh, is it going to stop? No. But pretty soon, the notoriety these people gain by doing this, mm-hmm. they'll go on to something else. Yeah. And I, I think one kid who shot up, I guess, the movie theater in Connecticut, uh, or maybe, I don't know where. Colorado. Well, Rhode Island. Well, oh, Rhode Colorado, Island. Well, Colorado was the first one. one is going yeah. on right now. And, oh, yeah. Well, that, that's to, Aurora. See, the yeah. first big one happened in my town uh, where my son was going to end up going to high school. 
in uh, outside Denver. Mm-hmm. And that was um, the first of the school shootings. Um, it was, um, I've forgotten the name of the school. Columbine? Or, Columbine, yeah. 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 That's where my son was going to go to school. Yeah. And I happened to be visiting him when he was, he happened to be working as a reporter in Louisville, Kentucky at the time. Mm-hmm. And we, of course, were mesmerized by it. And if anybody's got the chutzpah and the equipment to cover one of those things, it's Denver. Yeah. Helicopters, highly skilled reporters, uh, reporters who will go to no end to get the story somehow, and even they were blocked. They knew very little about it. But they had a police department who would talk about it, which would talk about it. And the guys, the authorities in Lafayette, were pretty good about giving us the details that would not harm their investigation. And then, of course, Governor uh, Governor Jindal flew in, I believe, from the Iowa primary. Well, actually, he happened to be in town, anyway? I believe. Oh, anyway, okay. I mean, I know that he had been out of state, but he happened to be here oh, okay. when, when it happened. In fact, I was I, I had breakfast this morning with uh, Jay Darden, believe it or not. Uh-huh. And we talked about he and Patrick Mulhern who were on, Patrick was on last week's show, and they were coming back from screening The Magnificent Seven uh, somewhere in, in near St. Francisville. And he, he just told me this morning they were driving back from St. Francisville to Baton Rouge uh, with a trooper when he got the call, and they, they started talking about what had gone on then. And I guess one thing that I could ask is, information moves so quickly now. Now, that's both... A good thing and a bad thing, because yeah. when it's yeah. wrong, it creates a myriad of problems for everyone. But when it's accurate, it can save lives. Yeah. The one of the biggest things that I draw from this is somewhere along the line in all these killings, these mass killings in theaters, etc., a police agency, a, a police organization said, we have got to stop doing textbook in invading these these processes. Uh, for instance, in Denver, good police department, it was actually a suburban police department, um, they assessed the situation, quote-unquote, they slide cameras in, quote-unquote, and they slip microphones in, and if they can, they'll slip somebody in who looks like a student mm-hmm. before they go in. Um, well, hell, this is not on the air. They go in balls out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. With, with podcast, with, uh, you can do that. Here. Auto, automatic weapons. Well, we've learned that gets more people killed. Yeah. And the Lafayette, it, by the way, I've been trained that it's Lafayette in Louisiana. I, listening to the networks. Give it every pronunciation in the book. They say Lafayette. I've been saying Lafayette all my days, and so it's Lafayette, right? Lafayette. Nobody yeah. from there has ever corrected me, but I guess I guess I'll have to remember <laughs> that because I do. I endorse for a car dealership that's in Lafayette, and I always say Lafayette. So and they I let you get away with it. They huh? let me get away with okay. it. Okay. Well, there's probably enough different versions, but the cops, even ambulance drivers. They all charged right into the school. No question. They, uh, none of this staging, yeah. and let's be sure we know what's going on. Yeah. And if anybody's still in there, 
man, they, they went in there and dragged people out and went in and looked for the source. Uh, that's, that's ballsy. Yeah. But that is what the new position is of pol- reaction of police to that sort of thing. Because, I mean, the, these guys are armed with, with assault weapons, and they're highly trained, mm-hmm. and almost always your nut job, yeah. uh, who I believe got into the uh, theater yeah. by a back door, uh, your, your nut job has played with guns, but he doesn't know really what he's doing, and mm-hmm. he, does, he can't, he, you know, a really trained guy can almost feel when his chamber is going dry on him yeah. and, and pop another one in. And apparently he was getting ready to do that. I saw a story yesterday with one lady who noticed him reloading and started screaming that everybody should, you know, get the hell out, he's reloading. And yeah. he, he apparently left his, his car keys above the front right tire, hoping right. to be able to just grab it, get into it, and, and then leave. The scariest thing about something like this is it is so difficult to predict and it's difficult to stop because so so many people, and we'll get to this in a second, so many people fall through the cracks of the system who have mental illness. And unless they have been identified and if there's a paper trail, the law says they can be a gun owner if they're not a criminal. Well, in and this case, this guy had been pre-identified. He had been pre-identified, but he, not here in Louisiana. He wasn't on any list here in Louisiana that would have prohibited him. So, you know, there has been a debate about whether or not we need a national database. And, and I think that that's a healthy thing. I don't, I don't see it infringing upon anyone's right to own a gun. But I do think the states ought to have systems that communicate with one another. Yeah. So yeah. some person can't go from, say, Alabama, like this guy did, to Louisiana and where he was basically casing cities to decide where he was going to do this. We can do better than that, don't you think? Yes. Uh, I know both you and I, if if you gave us a 500-question test, would come out as conservative. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, I think that at the least. Frankly, I think we ought to have gun laws like Canada, but I say that understanding that we didn't do it a long time ago, and if we didn't do it a long time ago, we cannot change it now. And that's really the, the point that I think so many people miss. It's you're, you are trying to unring a bell yes. that started with the Liberty Bell. I mean, it, it goes back that far. And everybody needed a gun and, back and in the everybody day. Everybody needed it. Do we need some of the kinds of guns on the streets that people get access to now? Hell no, we don't. There are, there are people in communities who have military-grade assault weapons. Now, they've got a right to have it. My question is, why do you need it? And people will say, because I want it, and the law says I can have it. That's fine. I'm no prude. But with us not addressing mental health illness in our country, we, if we don't do something about that, how do you counterbalance it? And I don't have the answer. I just recognize this is happening so frequently now. Listen, 10 days before Lafayette, there was, or Lafayette, there was Chattanooga. Yeah, a city where you'd never expect anything a like military that. base, right? No, I don't think it really. Any well, no, no, it wasn't the base, but these were veterans. Yeah, he targeted yeah. military veterans. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. What do you think about the way mental health is addressed here in Louisiana? I mean, across the country, but specifically in our state. Poorly. Yeah. Uh, and and I think maybe the people who fund them would acknowledge that. I remember. Well, in one area that I'm familiar with, um, 
treatment for people who have trouble with drugs and alcohol. Mm -hmm. Back in the day, as they say, I'm talking maybe 20 years ago, uh, the insurance companies would, uh, or if someone did not have an insurance company, the state would fund uh, 28 days mm -hmm. of treatment. That's four weeks. In fact, there's a movie with that name mm -hmm. uh, with a well-known actress in it, Sandra Bullock. It's funny as hell. But uh, 28 days is no longer supported because it's expensive. And it's so hard to define mental illness, unless yeah. they're really nutcases like the guy in Lafayette. Mm -hmm. I can remember as a kid when police had much more authority to slap somebody in jail and send them to a mental hospital. Now, Earl Long, for instance, had that problem. They threw mm -hmm. him in a, in a nutcase bin, and um, he got the 72-hour rule imposed, which meant they're going to put you there 72 days, and they're going to make a determination of whether uh, you're, you have a mental problem. But if they can't show something definitely wrong with you, you can tell them, go, go jump in the lake. I'm mm -hmm. out of here. Right. Uh, Earl caused that to happen because they, they put him in the nut bin. But he, well, you know Earl. I yeah. mean, uh, Earl's a special case. Mm -hmm. uh, before that, there was no such uh, protection for the, for the patient. And I go back to the 50s, and I just vaguely remember it, but my mother, on driving us to Roanoke, Virginia, where her family was, we would come to the end of a, a main highway, and it would make a sharp left turn, and up on the hill was this beautiful, big, huge hospital, and it was the state mental hospital. And she said she had, she had at that time three kids, and she said, if you boys don't settle down, I'm going to go over the edge, and that's where they're going to send me. And, you know, okay. we, we thought she was kidding around with us. Yeah. But if she had gotten a, a favorable diagnosis from somebody, uh -huh. uh, she wouldn't have gone to that hospital because we lived in Tennessee. But uh, it, was, it was pretty easy to put somebody in a mental hospital with no, no restraints. Mm. Then we get into the, for instance, my wife's total bill for pre- natal care and postnatal care and delivery in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania was $500. Wow. Can you imagine what it is now? You can't even get them to check your temperature for that, right. that, that little now. But as a result of medicine being so inexpensive then, uh -huh. they could do that. Your doctor could look at you and say, Clay, uh, I think maybe your ego has gone too far north. We're going to put you in the hospital and have right, you looked at. Right. And if that were the case, he they'd have every one of us in town. He might, be, might want to tell me that anyway. <laughs> every broadcaster in town would <laughs> be in the exactly, hospital. <laughs> that's exactly right. And a few people in the admin office, too. But the fact is, it's become so expensive, and insurance companies can say, Prove to me that he is this or he yeah. is that. Yeah. And you can't do it. There, there's no black or white to well, it. Well, and the nature of politics is such that you can't have grown-up conversations about grown-up issues now because everybody is looking for a soundbite, right? 
It's having I, I enjoy forums when people ask me to come in and they've got people from both sides because I work hard to make them talk to one another. Don't give me the A block soundbite that you're looking to get out of this. Talk about the real issue. We can all see that we have an issue with people with mental illness walking the streets. We don't have to be clinicians to see some people walking the streets, having full on conversations with themselves. As I've seen around the city, people walking with half their arm down their pants in their, in, in the, in the crotch of their pants. These are people who need help. Now, if you want to debate those who can get jobs, who choose not to, we can talk about that. But as a society, I do think we can do something about the percentage of people who are diagnosed as well as undiagnosed with mental health issues. There has to be a solution. And I think we ought to be able to try to find one. Or we're going to have more John Russell Housers in communities even smaller than Lafayette. And then we're going to say, why didn't we do something about that? Now's the time, don't you think? Yes, at least, at the very least, as you say, exchange information across borders. But then the very people who want that kind of strength to protect everybody from madmen are the same people who don't like public information or information about individuals being spread so so widely see i can ag- i can understand that and but i i think we can we can even be we can be careful and vigilant at the same time and what i mean by that is this there are facilities that are credentialed that have a good track record of treating people who no longer have funding to do what they did, say, 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. So these facilities are closing all over the country, which means that they're turning these people out onto the streets, and at most they're able to do a site visit and go to the home and see how they're functioning at home, which who knows how that, sitting there three hours when they're 24 hours in a day and seven days in a week, I don't know how clear a picture you can get. I'm not saying you throw a bunch of money at it. I'm just saying the access to dangerous things and being able to do these kinds of things is more prevalent now than before. And I just think we can do more. That's all I'm saying. Do I have the the end of the line perfect answer? No, I don't. But I'm not an elected official. Nobody has an answer. That That's the problem. And for instance, there's a guy who used to hang around outside our television station. Obviously, I keep using the term nutcase, and that's really a bad term to use, and I'd never say it on the air, but, but he clearly was mentally disturbed. Mm-hmm. But he couldn't be dangerous except maybe a knife uh, on one of the reporters or cameramen, and, and he was sufficiently old and drunk mm-hmm. that we could take it away from him. Mm-hmm. He's not the problem. The ones who are the problems are the relatively well-educated. Bipolar. Schizophrenics. Yeah. Yeah, the people who have all kind of, you know, uh, personality disorders that they're, they've got this inner struggle going on in their own mind. Mm-hmm. And one day the wrong voice wins and without, and because, you know, Hauser, maybe there was a little bit of a hint that this was coming. But for a number of these people, the only people who know that anything is quite possible are the people who are, closest to them right we've had shootings on college campuses where uh, instructors have wondered about kids in their classrooms but there was no real protocol to do do anything about it Uh, some of the ramblings that are turned in in dissertations or in reports look kind of odd but yeah what are you going to do yeah yeah uh, who who makes the rules Who, who draws the line 
the kid who shot up uh, the University of Virginia. That's right, Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech. Yeah. I mean, I'll tell you, it, it's, it's an insoluble problem, and I think what will happen is America will get this out of their system, and they'll go to something else. You're right. You're right. So, so let's, let's move back to the coverage now, because, and I told you before we came on that I thought that everyone was careful not to just throw out wild and outlandish claims on the air about this guy, maybe because it was a Friday and that's a wind down day, you know, for everybody. But I just thought that they were very, very careful and deliberate on how the information was getting out. Now, at first I was worried because they talked about this guy's ties to uh, white supremacist groups and and some of the things that he apparently had posted. He was he was a fan of David Duke, Mm -hmm. uh, who I won't say what who's a fan of David Duke. But it didn't become that because when it when it became apparent that he had murdered uh, two white women, then I guess that narrative wasn't going to be effective for people who wanted to spend that yarn. Well, I, I, I think, didn't they find some things in his apartment who, which indicated that he was on that side of the political spectrum? Oh, yeah. Uh, so somebody got it from somewhere who had seen him somewhere else, perhaps mm-hmm. in, in Alabama, where he came from. Uh, the coverage was reserved because, well, I know best the two television stations here. Yeah. Um, and I know best also ABC. On the f- first night of it happening, Thursday, Thursday night, WBRZ had all their coverage and had it on the air for some time, and so did WAFB. Mm-hmm. But BRZ stopped at 5:30 and carried their network newscast, mm. and so ABC got to do its best job in two or three minutes mm-hmm. uh, without all the hemming and hawing and uh, and told the whole story as best it could be told because they had time to prepare it. And um, it was an excellent job without exaggeration. I mean, there were a lot of flashy headlines. Sure. But uh, I never saw anybody on WBRZ go over the line, and I really never saw anybody on WAFB go over the line. Didn't notice it at all. What I did see was a lot of hemming and hawing and waiting and lack of lack of communication with the home base and about like the press conference the first press conference on friday i maybe came into that too late to see it yeah it was supposed to happen at a quarter to seven central time and it ended up being about 40 minutes late but one of the things that i did notice is while uh, this press conference wasn't happening at six forty-five when they originally said it would Governor Jindal was on Fox and Friends talking about this whole thing back here, which pissed me off pretty good, to be honest with you. Uh, I just uh, but but I just tried not to focus on any kind of political grandstanding or anything because, uh, you know, two young women had lost their lives. And at that point, I was just wanting to see what the information was, because the the law enforcement was clear about saying we don't have all of the facts yet. And Mike Edmondson was admonishing media people to be careful because we don't have all of the details yet. And whenever we get them, we'll share it with you. Stellar performance by law enforcement then, because, again, they were under control because we've seen what happens uh, when they don't have their stuff together. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in, in D.C., when these snipers were going around all here, Derek Todd Lee 
when people called in tips that were unfounded just trying to make it onto the news. There is danger with being first if you're wrong. Yeah. Well, we have learned this about Bobby Jindal. Uh, because it's a political campaign now, we have learned do not get between Bobby Jindal and a television camera because you could be hurt. You could be hurt really bad. But Jindal, in this case, had access to information Absolutely. that could yeah. only be yeah. obtained from Jindal. And he's the final arbiter on what is going to be made public and not. And I think he violated a couple of the guidelines that his his a top policeman wanted to be kept quiet. Mike Edmondson, right. And uh, Jendel was useful, particularly the first time he went on. Ultimately, yes, because I, I, I found the Fox News interview only annoyed me because it, it was apparent that they were waiting for something, and that, that, that's, that appeared to have been what was going on. Yeah, so he could do the national right. thing. You know, but when he was on camera... All of the local officials and then Edmondson spoke before the governor spoke mm -hmm. and then everybody. So, so I don't think that there was a whole lot of squeezing the air out of the room to get all of the attention there, which was wise on his part because he would have been absolutely scorched by everyone for mm -hmm. it because it would have been apparent. Mm -hmm. uh, so I thought that was OK. Uh, I know that when uh, Katrina happened, I didn't like the idea but we came to a point of depending on Jendel when he was the second district congressman down there. Yeah. Of using Jendel from our studio and kidding about here's WAFB's Bobby Jendel because uh, he had been down there and had access to things that we didn't have access he to. He was very good then. He yeah. was excellent during Gustav. The constant flow of information was wonderful because it was just information. He did not do a lot of editorializing. It was just info. Oh, he did zero. Uh -huh. he, he was great then. Yeah. And again, it's like over the course of time, look, the man's running for president, and I get that. That's not a secret anymore. I just was hoping that in, in this instance, it wouldn't become you know, one of these political things, you know, mm -hmm. and I don't think it ultimately did. I think that that well, his, maybe that his wasn't mere his presence there, his mere yeah. presence there was political. And uh, well, but he, he's the governor, too, now, in mm -hmm. fairness. So I guess that he's going to have to be there, he, you know. But again, you just don't get between the man and the camera. But I'll be careful there because, again, he didn't jump on television and make it all about him. Uh, and what do you think about Westboro Baptist deciding not to come here? Wise choice, by the way. <laughs> they know it's Louisiana. Yeah. And, and by the way, if you don't know, West Bear, Westboro Baptist Church is a, a congregation uh, from, is it Kentucky? It eludes me at the moment. Zoe, look, look that up for me to see man. where they're from. And, and, and So anyway, uh, they go around the nation protesting at funerals, high-profile funerals, basically saying that God allowed the deaths to happen because of uh, America allowing homosexuality. And I'm sure somebody in the group said, you know, <laughs> maybe we ought not go down to Lafayette <laughs> and take this show on the road down there. Well, none of their, none of their prime issues was, was at question here. It's homosexuality. Right. It's... Um, left-wing stuff. But they shouldn't be protesting at funerals. I know that the Constitution gives them a right to do this stuff in public, but I think that in the, these are the worst possible situations for families, and the last thing they need is someone across the street holding up posters protesting. Yeah. And it's, it's a wonder that they haven't been shot at 
I think probably they don't know it, but they have been. But yeah. just the shot was no good. Yeah, it probably well, would have happened here. Uh, yeah, Louisiana would. Uh, I'd be a, don't want to come here with that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> They'd make the news for sure if they wanted to. And that's what they want. Uh, Frankly, I think we got out of this cleanly. Now, I want to. This is a platform I can use. Just Kansas. In, uh, okay. Very Zoe, briefly. Zoe, tells, Zoe, the intern, tells me Kansas. Uh, the the way everybody was able to get live reports out of there, yeah. uh, so quickly, is a new tool that we all have. We had it first here, and I didn't realize that we had it here until I saw my son using it in Ferguson, Missouri. Uh, how do you get live shots so quickly from so many places? And that's a pack that's on, on the back of your photographer usually uh -huh. that reaches out and grabs four cell phone channels, four of them, and, uh, and marries the information, enough digital information to produce a television picture. Wow. And uh, I think... Perhaps with a fifth channel, it can be high definition. Huh. But what's wrong with that is, as more and more people appear on the scene, you're all competing for that channel. Now, these, these gadgets have some way of protecting the channels they've locked themselves on. Mm -hmm. But eventually, they're going to lose one of the channels, and it's going to go down to... They can still operate, I believe, with as many as two telephone channels. Mm -hmm. Don't even think of trying to use one of those at a football game, for instance, with 100,000 people in the stands. Right. Uh, but in days gone by, just uh, a couple of years ago, we would have had to have rented satellite time, gotten our satellite truck over there, or ridden the back of uh, Channel 10's satellite mm -hmm. or Channel 3's satellite. KLFY is 10, I believe, Yeah, down yes, there. the CBS yeah. station. And uh, supposedly we're... We're their partners, although we used to use uh, Channel 3. They're Raycom? No. Okay. No, there's no connection just, with that. Just a kinship there, working yeah, together. Yeah, okay. yeah. But the fact that you had Andre at one Andre Morrow at one location, and you had our other reporters at other locations, yeah. uh, was all done with the technology of sending television pictures and good television pictures mm -hmm. by telephone, by cell phone, and you, when you start to see the picture tear a little bit or, or scramble, that's because you, the machine on the photographer's back has lost one of its channels and it's groping for another one. Okay. And the more crowded it is, the more difficult it is for, for it to restore itself. But that's why we got such excellent coverage so fast. It's amazing what technology can do now. But see, here's the difference in small market, big market. Yeah. Uh, we got enough out of there that we could get our star over there. In this case, it was Andre Morrow. And, and uh, for WBRZ, I'm not sure who they sent over as their front man. Uh, and you want to get your, your number one man or woman over there. In a town like St. Louis, uh, where my son was covering the Ferguson riots, they also had helicopters relaying stuff back. And they had live trucks that were sitting on bridges, mm -hmm. relaying it back. They had so much more equipment that that really never came up. Um, so Baton Rouge and South Louisiana and smaller cities are very lucky to have these things. Well, I, I just, the media 
they seemed very careful in how they delivered the news on such a tragic, tragic event. Yeah, and, they did. You know, and, and I'm very proud of the industry for that. Uh, you know, speaking of news coverage, okay, so I do want to have you back because the first Republican presidential debate is happening next week. Oh, Lord. And let me tell you something. I generally would not pay attention to a debate this early, well more than a year out from the election. But I think Trump is going to be so entertaining at this debate (laughs) that I can't wait to watch it. I just I cannot wait to watch it. It's going to be like a TV show. It's going to look like satire. And so I'll get you. I'd like to have you back. But not only that, and let's not get into it now, because when I start telling the story, you're going to know what I'm talking about. I was sitting with George and Jim Inkster in a room at Channel 9 covering the 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 president obama's first address of congress it wasn't the state of the union address for his first speech it's always a joint uh, address of congress he you know brings both chambers in and this was the night that bobby jindal did the infamous walk oh. in <laughs> don't oh. don't do it don't do it save it save it until next week <laughs> but i can tell you our reaction in the room was very similar to that <laughs> so will you come back next week oh i'd be happy to all right yeah. george sells back in just a moment with stephanie regal with the baton rouge business report clay young and john fabry here for infinity of baton rouge and infinity of lafayette we've been talking new all week with the summer sales event but let's talk pre-owned right now that's a good time to do that as well when when we sell a lot of new vehicles which Mm -hmm. we have we get a lot of really nice trades and always we have a good selection on the ground and Mm -hmm. we always have a good selection on in the pipeline so to speak uh cars that are getting ready if you're in the market no matter what the price range no matter what the type of car you're looking for whether it be a sedan a coupe a pickup truck Mm -hmm. suv import or domestic we have it and, and certified pre-owned. Uh, absolutely certified. And and the thing about pre-owns that, that I want to reinstate is the rates are great. Interest mm-hmm. rates are low. Mm-hmm. You can go longer term. So it's like buying a new car. It right. used to be a big disadvantage to right. buy a pre-owned car, but not anymore. Come check them out. Go see that great selection at Infinity of Baton Rouge and Infinity of Lafayette. This is the Clay Young Show on Podcast225.com. Back with Stephanie Regal, editor of the Baton Rouge Business Report. And uh, she's also becoming more and more of a media mogul here in town, doing television, a weekly segment on WAFB. You're very good at that, by the way. Oh, thank you. Uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. You have about three minutes to get so much information in on those segments. And then depending on what happens on a news day, that could be cut down to 90 seconds because I've had it happen. Uh, but before we work our way toward now, let's talk a little bit about the beginning. Where are you originally from? Well, I'm from New Orleans. And okay. actually, professionally, my background is in television. Yeah, yeah. So I was in New Orleans, born and raised there. I went to LSU for undergraduate. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was working at WWL-TV, which I'd done for <laughs> Now I think years. I remember that. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. So that's yes, why yes. I can pull off the AFB yes. thing. Uh, you know, the light just came on now. I don't know if it's the back end of a day or what. But <laughs> So, okay, so you, you, you went to LSU. You end up, what brings you to Baton Rouge? Because Julio Malera, who's you know one of the guys at Business Report, he was down there as well in sales. Well, it's and, even weirder than that. Yeah. And we were talking about this this afternoon at, at a luncheon because... 
Julio got his start at New Orleans City Business, right. and I actually got my start at New Orleans City Business. And right. we were there just a couple of years a- apart from each other back in the late 80s and early 90s. Right, right. And I had started in print, and then I went to broadcast, and I worked in broadcast for 12 years. Mm-hmm. And in 2005, when Katrina hit, right. my kids were very young. Mm-hmm. I brought him up here to Baton Rouge to stay with my sister, which was always the drill when a mm-hmm. hurricane was coming. Mm-hmm. And and when it ended up looking like it was going to zero in on New Orleans, you know, the station that Sunday night before the storm hit said, stay in Baton Rouge. We're going to send half of our crew up there anyway because we think the French Quarter is going to be underwater tomorrow. Right. And so I stayed up here. I worked the storm that first week at the GOSEP offices mm-hmm. over on Independence. But we lost our house. Yeah. You know, we lost our city. We didn't know how long it was going to be, and and I wanted to just, it was a maternal instinct. Yeah. I had eight-year-olds, twins, and a five-year-old, and I wanted to just be somewhere safe and spend right. time with them, and I really didn't care to cover the rebuilding of our great city, and right. I, I still feel guilty about that, but I don't regret the decision at all. No, I get it. For most of us who've been here who can vividly remember Andrew back in 92 and the impact it had on Louisiana, it was it was strong, but Florida got hammered and uh, you know other parts right. of the country. Now I find that most of us see Louisiana in a pre and post Katrina reality. Oh, absolutely! It's Almost like my everything old is life that way. And my new life. That's right. And it was even more, more of a demarcation for those of us who left the city and didn't go back, mm-hmm. or for those that were gone for several years and then went back. It did, definitely changed everything. I was in Laplace last week, and uh, my intern is from Laplace, and we were just talking about the growth there after Katrina. Now, I live in the southeastern part of Baton Rouge, East Mm -hmm. Baton Rouge Parish. And as you know, on this side of town, there has been a number of people who came up after Katrina and stayed because they enjoyed the pace. And as much as we complain about the traffic, we ain't got nothing (laughs) on New Orleans. And so... Uh, you, you now work with what I consider the preeminent business publication in the region. Let's well, talk. For, well, I, well, it's the truth. It's not blowing smoke. You guys do a good job. Plus, you cover things that people care about. It's not superfluous verbiage, which permeates so much of media now. Um, let's talk about the climate post Katrina. You come here, you uh, begin work at Business Report in what capacity? Just as a reporter? Well, actually, I freelanced okay. for them for several years, and okay. then I was under contract with them as a part-timer, though. I worked for myself. I did a bunch of different things. I mm-hmm. did some public relations for LSU, for mm-hmm. one of the colleges. I had some other private clients. And I even freelanced for some other print publications and okay. did a little freelance broadcast as well. So I really enjoyed working for myself. Um, I don't do well in an office setting. And I was <laughs> able to be home with, with my kids, who were younger then. In 20. 20- 11, I went to the um, food section at The Advocate. Mm-hmm. I had been writing one of my part-time gigs was writing a food column yeah. for The Advocate. And um, when they're a long-time food I'm assuming it was healthy, healthy menus or whatever. It was healthy menus, and it was, and it was for kids. Okay. My sister and I wrote it together. She's okay. a professionally trained chef, and I was a writer. Really? So we had started collaborating on this when our children were very young. Okay. And she honestly would make up all the, all the food <laughs> ideas. I would just write, write the narrative <laughs> and right. help edit the recipes for right, her. Right, right. But so we had this column going, and mm-hmm. so when Tommy Simmons retired from the editor... She talked to me about um, applying for her job, and I did. I just thought it would be a good experience and a good opportunity, and it really, really was. It was a lot of fun. So from there to from business there, report. From there, I went back to the business report mm-hmm. full-time. 
because I really am sort of a hard news junkie. Yeah, you know, we'll I would get into love that to think that bit. I had a much yeah. broader skill set, but I, the older I get, I think I'm no. really just a reporter. Yeah, I think it's, you know, but you know, I Steph, I think I it's am. largely about not liking BS again. And sometimes people it. say, like I've had people over the years in media or even in here say, boy, you, you, you're really drilling down. It's like, not really. I just kind of want an answer. Right. It doesn't have to be combative if you just answer my question. <laughs> it's really as simple as that. Not trying to grandstand. It's like, yeah. Kind of like my questions answered. So you go to Business Report. What do you think the climate was like here? Because there has always been such a competitive atmosphere between Baton Rouge and New Orleans. And it still kind of exists, but not as much as it did before. I agree. Not as much as it did before. And in fact, we're doing a story on that for the anniversary of Katrina and how Uh, some of these barriers have broken down. I mean, let's face it. Coming up here a month from tomorrow. Yes. Hmm. Isn't that something? It's hard to believe. Yeah. And, and in the immediate aftermath of the storm, and you remember, you know, mm-hmm. if you were around. I was covering I it on radio. Many people thought mistakenly, like I did, that New Orleans was finished. I really yeah. didn't think it was going to come back, especially because I had seen so much of the un- ug- ugly underbelly, mm-hmm. you know, covering it for television. Um, and I think there are people in the business community here who, I'm not saying they wanted to dance on New Orleans's grave, but oh, yeah. I think they finally thought, aha, now we're going to be on top. And Absolutely. We're going to be the biggest city. It did happen. And, and it did happen. Yes. And I think for many months... There was there almost was, a fist fight between the mayor worse. and the councilwoman. It, it, got, it got worse yeah. before it got better. Yeah. I think what happened probably two years post-Katrina, once it became apparent that New Orleans was going to come back. And particularly once Negan was out mm-hmm. and, and Mitch Landrieu was in and you saw so much, you know, the influx of all of that federal recovery yeah. money, but yeah. also all the social entrepreneurs and the social capital that poured in with young hipsters, do-gooders, yeah. highly educated right. people from all over the country who wanted to come do good things mm-hmm. and help rebuild the public school system. It just produced this, you know, perfect storm of really positive benefits to the city. And I think the business community here wisely realized that, hey, you know, we can't beat them. We have to join them. Yeah. And and the business leadership in New Orleans recognizes as well, as much good as is going on there, they're never going to be able to compete with Houston or Atlanta no. or even a no. Dallas, which no. is, you know. So so I think these two cities and, and throw in Lafayette and also the North Shore are starting to think more like a super region. Maybe it's too late to jump yeah. on that bandwagon. It's something we should have done in earnest 20 years ago. No question. I was going to say 20 years, yes. 20 years ago, maybe 30. I mean, yeah. I can remember 20 years ago the creation of what they called MetroVision, mm-hmm. which was a mm-hmm. Metro New Orleans nine yeah. parish initiative. Back then, it should have included yeah. Baton Rouge and Lafayette. Right. You know, they were so proud of themselves for getting Jefferson and St. Tammany yeah. together. Well, now, finally, we're starting to think a little bit bigger. And so you see examples of the Chamber here in Baton Rouge and Greater New Orleans, Inc., the Economic Development Agency mm-hmm. in New Orleans, taking a, a, a joint recruitment trip to Germany together, which right. they did in May, to try to attract oil and gas companies here. They market themselves as a super region. They partner on efforts, for instance, to try to develop that train between mm-hmm. New Orleans and Baton Rouge. I don't um, know if that's ever going to happen. I don't know I, if it's it, ever going to happen, yeah. but if it is... But the conversations is, are going on. And if it is, it's going to be because of the efforts of, of these folks all working together, finally. So going back to that time, you know, you're right. Mayor Holden and Mayor Nagin were not exchanging recipes at Christmas time. They didn't seem to really like one another. Mitch had a better relationship with Kip uh, with them both having been in the legislature. And, you know, I, I could remember all the dialogue between the two cities. Mm-hmm. 
to be clear, New Orleans is an international destination. Yes. Baton Rouge is the capital city of Louisiana. Those two things are different. Very different. Economically speaking, New Orleans gives the southern portion of the state access to high rollers and cash that it otherwise would not have. Absolutely. In my opinion, the people and the businesses brought New Orleans back, not the politicians. No, not the, the citizens, politicians were totally superfluous. Right. That's right. The people did not want that city to die, and the entrepreneurial spirit of the country said, hey, we can get a little bit of what's going on yeah. <laughs> in New Orleans because it's a convention city. Yeah. And so I think that's a big part of it. What's been, what was the most surprising part of the inner workings of Baton Rouge as you began to kind of matriculate through the way this city works after being True. in a major market? Well, I mean, you know, it's funny because I always used to say I covered some of the biggest stories in this state for years on TV where I had, you know, Three hundred, three quarters of a million mm-hmm. people yeah. watching, and I yeah. never managed to piss people off. Oh, yeah. as much as I did here. Oh no, you did writing a bit about of that here. <laughs> a shopping center development or a traditional neighborhood development or a developer who went bankrupt. I mean, people here have very thin skin, and not just in the business community, but um, I think there is an inferiority complex here. There has and, been and some and of it that. Yes, permeates yes. a lot of aspects. Yeah. A Baton Rouge culture, I think it's better. It's a lot and, better. And part of it is the nature of reporting on business. It's not the same as reporting on politics. Sure, you know, if sure. you're reporting on somebody who's in the public eye, they have something of a thick skin, so mm-hmm. they come to expect the hard questions. But when you're reporting on private business people, they're a, they're a little more sensitive, or a lot more sensitive. I also think that... Um, there are a lot of behind-the-scenes machinations here in Baton Rouge, <laughs> do you know? Yeah. And um, a lot of people like to make things happen. There's a, there's very much an old boys network here, mm-hmm. and there's still a lot of people or a handful of people who pull a lot of the strings. Yeah. And um, they don't like when light is shown on that or no. when stories about their involvement in particular issues yes. gets brought to light, at least in a way that they may not want it to be mm-hmm. or at a time before they're ready to make their announcement. And that has been a challenge. Um, they yeah. will do anything they can to shut you out or to badmouth you. And I've encountered a lot of that. It's just give, very give, give, different. Give me an example of, of, without naming names, obviously. I can't name, I can't without, name Well, names. no, I, and I wouldn't ask for that. But, but give me an example of an encounter you had with, say, someone who was willing to go to quote-unquote extreme or extensive ends to keep you from reporting something that, that well uh, I I mean I'll give you an you example I I called a a consultant a consulting engineer who does a lot of work for mm-hmm. the city to ask about one of these ongoing projects that we've been following and this was maybe I even called this person to ask about a real estate deal mm-hmm. this was about a year ago or so and and he didn't want to talk to me. And I said, wait, we've spoken about this before. What is the problem? And he said, do you understand that there are people that are afraid to talk to you? They will get in trouble if they talk to you. You make a whole lot of people mad. By the way. And I'm thinking, what the hell have I done? I mean, you read the business yeah. report. We're not talking. But that's the greatest this compliment, so, though. Well, you know, I don't know. It kind of bummed me out at the time. Not, not that I wanted to be friends with any of these people. But <laughs> no. you start to think, like, why am I doing this right. for the Baton Rouge Business Report? Right. But that was, I swear to God, that was verbatim the conversation. 
So, so what, I mean, you lay low happens? for a while. I, you know, I don't remember. I think I probably couldn't get confirmation on that particular story, so I didn't write about it. And Do you find walls uh, being erected, uh, erected now because of stories you've done in the past where people are a lot more careful around you? Well, no doubt. No doubt. Yeah. But there are so many other people who say thank you so much yeah. for having the courage to say that. Like, yeah. I don't know what they're afraid of, honestly. I don't know what they're afraid of. I, just I guess they're afraid of getting a piece of the action. Are they getting afraid of not being invited to the right country club? I don't know. I think, well, that's a big part of it. But I think that the, the small town principles still exist, even though people say they want to be a big city. Absolutely. You can't hide in the big city. Absolutely. You can't. And I, you know, I hate political events. I know that maybe surprise some people, but I've got friends who run for office and I may go to some events, a lot of things. I'm just not coming to that. But if you want to see professional fake people, mm-hmm. go to political <laughs> right, events. Sure. Right. I mean, they're people who are great at it. Absolutely. So I generally pick a corner and that's where I am. But I think that there are also good people who've been in the system a long time, who have all this faith in what this city can be. And I think they're happier now about what's going on than maybe at any other time. There are great things going on in this city. There absolutely are. I mean, and, and you look at the level of development in the private sector, mm-hmm. in the public sector. Um, I mean, I, there's a lot to, to celebrate and a lot to um, feel good about. Do you know? There's still a lot of problems. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about that. I want to talk about both the, the positives and the negatives because I just want to be honest with the public about it. And you, this is, this is what you do every day. You are hearing what's going on. You know what's on, what's coming. You know what's about to die. Let's talk about some of the, let's lead with the negative so we can end with the positive. Mm-hmm. Some of the things that are going on that are not so great that are either being fixed or are not getting enough attention yet. Well, I, I mean, I don't, you know, you look at all of the, the money and public resources that are being poured into our downtown area, which I think is wonderful. And the fruits of that are visible on every street. How about some parking? But, well, parking is one, but to me, I mean, you look at, and I've heard this complaint from council members who represent some of the less well-off areas in mm-hmm. the city, and they say, where are, the, where are the resources there? I mean, the redevelopment authority tried, very badly bungled, but tried for several years to, to redevelop areas. Mm-hmm. It was supposed to help the poorest areas. Nothing happened. I mean, there were just thousands upon thousands yeah. of blighted properties in the city. I drove around looking at them last fall when I was doing a story on the RDA and, and, you know, for those of us who don't typically travel in these neighborhoods, mm-hmm. you realize how bad off, you know, so many areas of this city are. And downtown and mid-city redevelopment, that, that gets all the attention and the LSU lakes. But what about the very real poverty? I mean, you know the statistics as well as I do. This yeah. is the richest city in the state and also the poorest. That's right. I mean, we have the statistics on both ends of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. And I just don't see... The people on the poor end getting a lot of the attention. I don't think right the sides now. talk to one another at all. I think no, they scream they at don't. one another, they point at one another, but they don't talk with one another. There's never going to be development in, in the northern parts of this parish, specifically North Baton Rouge, not the parish, the northern part of the parish. There are pockets that do very well there, but they, the, the two sides don't talk. The, the 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 inability to talk is what yeah. led to St. George in the first place. And, and so then the crime, though, goes hand in hand with that? Yeah. You know, and, and the crime, I guess the more affluent middle class, white communities, whatever, mm-hmm. don't mind so much until it affects them. Well, that's the way anybody cares. But it's the cares. way anybody is. But, and, and you, but, but it bleeds but, over and we all should care. And it ends up 
happening outside of the Mall of Louisiana exactly. or in Perkins Row right. or in, in some main in town center, some place where, you know, you've got a more diverse collection of people. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's one of them. the politicians. I mean, so you came you got here in 05. So Kip was already the mayor then. So you've yes. been through at least a, a, two different metro councils because the old council uh, was done in 08. And this new council got in, at least most of them, uh, that at that period, the Joel Boe, the Denise Marcel, right. the Donna Collins Lewis, Ronnie Edwards and, and such. Working with the, the city officials, just kind of talk, talk about that. What, what you saw when you were able to sit with them on various stories. You know, individually, they're great. I mean, and like a lot of people that that get into elected office, I think most of them were motivated by the right thing, you know. I think they generally think they can make a difference. Mm -hmm. But what I see collectively as a body is it's all games, it's all smoke and mirrors, and and they're divided, you know, right down the center on so many things racially and, and Politically, that's a know. bad problem. It's here, a though, bad, you know? bad problem, and what? we thought this new council might be better, but it's the same as the old council. But the race thing is such a killer to me because, at our core, people are kind of the same. You want the best opportunity. Uh, yeah, I was raised under the philosophy that there are two races of people: jerks and not jerks, <laughs> yeah. right? And that if you care about people and you want to see people okay, it shouldn't really matter what their pigmentation is. Mm-hmm. And that's not naive to me because I've got friends on both sides. Obviously, being a black man, it's one thing. But I, and I just think if we're going to grow, the poorer communities in almost every city are minority communities, right? And I do think there has to be dialogue to address why that is. But it's so hard when the politicians lead it because nothing will get done. No. And there's so much pandering today. Do you know no one yeah. will stand up and say the hard thing right. because it's unpopular. Right. It's so much easier Hiller's just to trying, say though. what's... Hiller's wonderful. Yeah. You know, he really is. And he is... He holds elected office, but I don't consider him a politician. No, he's not. Do you know? I mean, he's out there working every Hell, day. Look I mean, at he what goes he's to doing. every single murder right. scene, even if it's one o'clock in the morning. Right. I mean, right. he's the real deal. He's the real deal. So what's been, uh, what was the biggest surprise? Something that you went, wow, I didn't know Baton Rouge and you've kind of fallen in love with, except the fact that we, we do good food up here too. But outside of that, <laughs> what else? Well, you remember I went to school here, so I, mean, yeah. I sort of knew that. Oh, but Rouge, no, no, no. But you, I'm talk talking about coming back as a professional. I, I, you, you know, when you're a kid in school, I mean, come on, your your view is so skewed toward you know the social aspect of college and then the book work, of course. But yeah. coming back here after the storm, well, coming back here after the storm, I mean, I, I think I was surprised by how how small it really was. Yeah. Do you know? Um, I I loved. I loved being away from New Orleans because I had lived there my whole life and I was ready for a change mm-hmm. just personally. So mm-hmm. for me, it was sort of paradoxical to come to a smaller place, but where I felt like I could finally be free and yeah. be an adult. And yeah. I just embraced everything and I loved it. So I just threw everything I had, every wall and surface and saw what would stick. Outstanding. And so it was great. I mean, I just explored everything, and I homeschooled my twins that first year, so Jeez. I didn't have to go to soccer games and do the regular stuff that a third-grade mom would do. We went to the museums. Yeah. We got to know all of the public resources here, every yeah. Breck Park. Yeah. and So I really did get to know the city. I would be telling my Baton Rouge friends about things that they had never done. You right. know, I'd tell them about the farmer's market, and I loved it about it, and I did pick up a bunch of different freelance jobs for a bunch of different clients but the funny thing was after about six months 
all my circles started to overlap, you know, and the guy that I had met at the gym, well, it turns out he knew so-and-so that I was working for. And then they, I mean, everybody was either related or had some sort of connection. Right. And that surprised me. And now when I go back to New Orleans, where I lived for 39 years, it seems so big. Yeah. <laughs> and I can't believe it. I can't, I go in the big office buildings there and I almost feel intimidated like country come to town. And I have to pinch myself. So and you're remember officially a I Baton used Rougean to be now. on TV here and speak to all That's these right. millions of people. And yeah. I used to, I used to think New Orleans was small and dinky and now it seems very big. But I don't think Baton Rouge is small and dinky, but I do think it's small and connected. And it's small and, it's and connected. Still, the circles still overlap. My kids And it can me. be vicious though. Baton Rouge can can be be very very vicious. You know, it's interesting. You brought up other cities. I was in Houston recently and hadn't been in a little while and got a chance to kind of move through the downtown area. And they've got a a museum district in their downtown area. And I said, the museum district in their downtown area is bigger than our downtown area. (laughs) I think so. And so what does it take to get to that? You know what I mean? When there's more of that. I think part of it has to be a willingness. And, and I mean, you remember the growing pains mm-hmm. that Baton Rouge went mm-hmm. through in the mid-2000s, mm-hmm. especially in those post-Katrina years. That's right. A lot of people didn't like it. I can't tell you how many people um, would, would say to me in those early years, you know, this is what it was like before Katrina. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, we liked our town the way it was. Yeah. Well, if, if you really don't want to change and you don't want to welcome outsiders and you don't want to open up your way of thinking a little bit, then it's not going to change. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, it's a double-edged sword. It's like everything else. You know, that which makes a place charming and anachronistic and old-fashioned mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is also that which stifles it and holds it back. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I think the community has to decide what it wants. Now, I don't think Baton Rouge or New Orleans will ever be a Houston, but I mean, no. it could be bigger. New Orleans and, doesn't have the capacity, real estate-wise, no. to be a Houston. No. Uh, you know, and Baton Rouge is kind of boxed in with the parishes around us. But you know, New Orleans. But we could be bigger than we, we are. We could be bigger, and and we may well be. Do you know? I mean, I think Louisiana as a whole, and you got to remember, this is all. You know, if you think of it as a super region, mm-hmm. we're still hamstrung by the, the same problems that we always have. Been, Traffic you know? and infrastructure. Traffic, and, yeah. infrastructure, yeah. education, yeah. poverty. I mean, we're South Louisiana. We're still on the bottom of a lot of lists. I really don't care what the site selector right. magazines say right. or those economic development rankings, a lot of which I think are sort of suspect anyway to Most begin of that with. Stuff I is, mean, the yeah. real hard data yeah. points to the fact that we're still pretty low at the bottom of most lists. And, and if you we, walk out and, and you, look at it, you can see it that it's not as it. good as everyone. Oh, it's and, so great over here. No, it's not. And you can see what um what our legislature did or didn't accomplish in the recent session. I mean, yeah, that just well. points to the kind of systemic problems we have. So you know, who's going to come here? Well, industry is going to come here as, as long as natural gas prices mm-hmm. are low. We've got the river. You know, we've got the, the industry. Cost of living is pretty low. Cost of living is low. I mean, there are things that will attract companies here. I, I think the, the, the movie industry, the entertainment industry, and the, some of the digital stuff mm-hmm. going on here in Baton Rouge is very, very promising. And well, then listen. hospitality and culture in New Orleans. Patrick Mulhern was here last week, and, you know, he's concerned because yeah. the industry is concerned about what the legislature did. Now, Patrick Patrick isn't chicken little because he gets that $180 million cap isn't exactly the end of the world. It's the retroactive aspect the of what the legislature did it. Did it. Totally yeah, that, did that's it. a part of the problem. So uh, there's so many things in, in what you just said that, that I want to talk about. Business climate-wise, you mentioned businesses who may want to move here. In the past 10 years, actually the past eight years, 
we've seen more interest in the Gulf South and mm-hmm. specifically Louisiana. What do you think's bringing technology companies here where they want to put incubators, say at LSU, like EA Sports did, and IBM wants to come here, and you know, automotive companies have looked at Louisiana. There's been well, an opening were, and closing. I mean, those were very yeah. targeted incentive Why? programs. Well, a lot of that, I think, was LED. I mean, okay. under... Stephen Moray. Stephen Moray. I mean, those were very targeted. And and the thing, you you know, you see where you get a cluster effect. If you can get one EA here, you know, and then an IBM, well, now you've got some people with some serious credibility behind them. And other companies are going to look more seriously, you know, at coming here. Um, Okay. But but beyond that, I I don't know. What does it take to get more... Small businesses here, and people understand small. Better quality of yeah, life issues. Yeah. Do you know? I mean, the school system. The school system. That's the got to be the biggest thing because people with with families cannot afford to send their kids to private school. Or they move to Ascension or Livingston. That's right. Because and, and that's what you see them doing, but it still gets to be you know a question of it's just not worth it. Yeah. You know. So we have a new school superintendent in East Baton Rouge Parish, Warren Drake, who is a tested commodity because he's had success in Zachary. And he comes in with money. Mm-hmm. I mean, the system has money. And in the first two weeks of being in the job, he eliminated about $2 million in salary and replaced it with about $900,000 in salary. In other words, he got rid of superfluous positions yeah. and jobs. In Baton Rouge, as of last year, about $12,000 per child per year was supposed to be targeted to public school kids. No one believes our children are getting that no. kind of education. What do you think about the systemic upside-down approach of the system here? I think, well, it's very much the way New Orleans was, at least before the storm. The Orleans Parish School Board was the worst was the worst example of mm-hmm. that. I think it's just, you say it's systemic, and I think it's systemic in public school districts all across the country. That's mm-hmm. why you've seen so many reform efforts. Do you right. know, there is just a tremendous amount of waste in government. Yeah. And, I mean, you could point to examples of it all over government but when you're talking about school systems it's the most glaring and the victims are our kids and so so it really hurts do you know but i just think and i mean you can't entirely blame the unions but i think the unions have a lot to do with it i mean and there's so much money that has to go to support the pension systems and the whole thing is it is totally upside down and they're marvelous people who choose to become educators and, and the overwhelming majority of people in the classroom, they get it. Yeah. They're smart. But we're losing college grads to other industries because so few of them are interested in being teachers because of safety, uh, salary, Absolutely. or location. It's just too hard. That's it's a, too hard. That, I mean, when you think about, really, how, how ludicrous it is almost that, that young people with organizations like City Year or Teach mm-hmm. for America come to Louisiana like to do their volunteer training. Right. It's like going into a third world That's country. That's exactly what I was thinking. Right. Right. Like, really? Yeah. Is it that bad off? Yeah. But, but it is. Do you know? And so that, that says so much. So education system is a big... Specifically, I brought up Livingston before, Livingston Parish. In the last 12 years... Has there been a bigger economic boom in one area? You think about where Livingston was and all of the development that's mm-hmm. over there right now. Well, the population the, growth. The, and all, uh, largely because of the school system. What about Livingston Parish? Just, you know, specifically asking as a broad question, specifically just the growth. What do you think about the development there and, and just how the success that they've been able to have? 
Well, I mean, I think the, these bedroom communities, um, they don't have to, to fund the, the, you know, the, the inner city problems, mm -hmm. for instance, that East Baton Rouge does. And so the people who couldn't afford to get out do. Mm -hmm. And it's safe. Yeah. It's safe and it's clean and they can afford a bigger piece of land. Um, you get more bang for your buck and the school districts are they, they, safer and cleaner and there's no forced busing. Yeah. And there are racial implications. That's what I was going to say. The, the, and so that, <laughs> bottom line, is, so, so is what we're talking so about. So dealing with that specifically, some of that is just a product of reality. Mm -hmm. More you know, as much as anything else. For instance, the, the population of Southeast Baton Rouge is not as diverse as, say, North Baton Rouge. I'm talking about Baton Rouge, the city, not so much Correct. just the parish. And you say people who can afford to get out, and I agree with you. They get out. They live in nicer neighborhoods. They, they buy nicer homes. They, they have more disposable income so they can choose to put their kids in private school or homeschool them because mm -hmm. it's it's basically, you know, of their own volition. Unless there are good schools where kids can get an education and then go get a job, you're not fixing it. It all comes back to the public school system, Right. right? Right. I mean, it's kind of the at the crux of what's wrong and it's the crown jewel of what's right. Good communities with good schools create productive people more often than mm -hmm. not. Poor schools that undereducate children turn out a, a, a an entitlement force instead of a workforce. Is that fair? I think that's fair. Are you hearing leaders talk about it? Not just during election season. Do you hear business owners and leaders talk about it? No, no, really. I mean, except for the small faction of people who are involved with the St. George movement, do you know? Those were the ones that were talking about it. Um, I mean, I think it's interesting when you look at, for instance, some of the reforms in New Orleans that have had some modicum of success, namely mm -hmm. the, the charter schools. Their model is different, do you know? Because the parents who send their kids there, right. regardless of socioeconomic oh, status yeah. or race, they buy in, mm -hmm. you know? And so they... They commit to doing things the way that the charter organization wants it done, and they make sure that their kids show up on time, and if that means having a uniform, they wear the proper uniform, and they get their homework done, and they volunteer, and I think that's one reason why you see the improvements that you have in test scores. So if we could bring some of that here, that would help. Charters, I think the misnomer or misconception about charters is that they're not public schools. There are there are non-traditional public schools. Those are public dollars. Absolutely. Uh, I do think that we should probably be more firm on who gets a charter so that the accountability you know, standard is so high that the charlatans can't go out and start a charter school where they just want the money and they're not, they don't care about the kids. Right. But they're public schools. Something has to happen to change the model to where we in we engage the technology generation. Yes. Because they're 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 babies who kind of come out of the womb tweeting. So <laughs> so so it's you know, do you think we're doing enough there along the technology line? Well, in some respects, I think we're doing too much. I mean, hmm. kids are exposed to technology all day long. And yeah. when you go tour any school and I don't care if it's a good school, a bad school, a public school, private or anything in between. The first thing they're going to want to show you are all their high tech bells and whistles. I don't think we're teaching kids how to think. Or how mm. to reason. I don't think we teach kids how to write anymore. I don't think we... Kids oh, don't yeah. have attention... Kids, adults, shoot. Nobody yeah. has an attention span yeah. anymore long enough to read a 5,000-word story. Right. So I, you know, I mean, I've always 
been of the opinion that yes, you have to teach these kids how to use these tools, but mm-hmm. I don't think it's great to give a kindergartner an iPad or something <laughs> and say how great they can press buttons by spelling right. words. I mean, I think especially in those early years of brain yeah. development, yeah. the educational system ought to be doing a lot more to stimulate the way kids' little minds think with real tactile right. tools Maybe and, we'll... and with writing with their little fingers because right. that works the brain, research has showed. I mean, I'm not totally making it up. Maybe learn the real word before you use the slang version of and it. And then, yes, exactly. So, I mean, I can't speak specifically to what schools are doing with technology, but I mean, yeah. I think in general... We're not doing nearly enough to teach people how to think today at all. So let's talk about CATS. Okay. The Capital Area (laughs) Transit System. So back at the end of 2013, uh, my company started working with CATS a little bit. and There was a mess. Uh, It it started in earnest in January. No, that's not true. That's the back end of 2012 because Mirabito has been there since 13. Correct. He started in the in summer, the summer of, of so 13. So the back end of 2012 is the, when the I started. Bond, the, the millage was passed in the spring of 2012. 20, 2012. So I, so I get there, and it's a communications nightmare. The, the biggest surprise I found when I got there was the quality of some of the people, and I mean in, the, in a good way. There were people who, say, who said to me, I'm ashamed to work here because of all of the things that people say about us. Not everybody yeah. at the agency was a criminal. Some people really wanted to do it right. And so I sat in some high-level meetings, and the first thing I told Brian Marshall at the time is, open up the doors and the windows and let the media in. And that was wonderful. I mean, you did a great job with that. <laughs> and then with Mir- when Mirabito came, I said, tell people the story. Let's not try to, try to outsmart them. Right. You know your details, call the media in and answer every question. And we would have car washes, which is, you know, a media, all day media interviews. We did a few of them here. We did some at the building. And when reporters, there was was never really a time. You can ask any question you wanted to ask. Now, you didn't always, may, may not have always gotten the answer you wanted, but I told them, tell the truth. You never have to remember what you said. And, and I thought that was very effective. And to their credit, I mean, I think things are 100% better there. They Still some have, work to do. Well, yeah, I was going to say that. There's still a lot of work to do. I mean, they've, they've made great But they know that, though. In, in the communication arena, you know, they're very upfront. Um, they've cleaned up the books. Oh, yeah. I think they have gone a long way towards cleaning out a lot of the dead wood, a yeah. lot of those really ineffective people. I think that's one reason why there's a lot of friction between the executive level administrators and the staff or mm-hmm. the, the lower level staff because Mirabito has come in and, and cleaned house gotten rid of people that he didn't like but he has made a lot of enemies along the way as anyone who would be in that position absolutely would and i think the union leadership sort of exploited that Mm -hmm. um in the contract talks that are that have been underway this summer things are better now with them but you know for instance talking to them this morning they met last weekend and had a retreat Uh a board retreat it was a great coming together and everybody was feeling the love and one of the things they did, though, was was um, come up with this strategic plan that addresses a lot of the capital needs, and they need eleven million dollars. And I said, "What about what about the sixteen million dollar a year millage? This ten year millage that the voters passed in twenty twelve? That's what was supposed to get cats to where it needed to be." Well, the spokesperson said, "You know, it it didn't get us 
far enough. It took care of our needs to revamp the system and, and to introduce new routes and to expand the number of routes and to build some of the hubs. But that was all done by 2014. And now we need to replace replace this fleet of 45 aging buses. Yeah, they've got and, some bad and they buses. Do. They yeah. do. Yeah. But, you know, so I said, $11 million. Where's That's it a third of your budget. Yeah. Where's it going to come from? And they said they're not going to go back to voters to ask for it, which I was <laughs> like, well, you be, better not. <laughs> would not be wise. <laughs> Thank goodness, because that wouldn't go nowhere. <laughs> but, I mean, even if they if they go to the bond market, they, that's going to paying off the debt is going to be coming out of their budget. Yeah. So how do you make the numbers work? I don't know. Um, they're working on that. They're looking at that, and they're going to come up with some sort of plan. But it, it didn't really um, – it didn't, you know – make you feel very confident to I haven't hear spoken that. to Bob in a, in a few weeks and, and I'll probably you know call him and, and ask him about it I don't know how much you know, he's very good about not talking about things that he's not supposed to talk about I can relay that to people and I don't ask because I kind of have a saying in my head I don't want to know anything I don't have to know anyway <laughs> right but what do you think about the way the the city of Baton Rouge uses cats well that's I was I'm glad you brought that up because if you look, for instance, at the Garden District trolley, mm -hmm. this was a, a product line created for the so-called riders of choice, designed mm -hmm. to attract the people who, who live in the Garden District, mid-city, downtown area, university area, that say they want to see a healthy you know, mass transit system mm -hmm. and would want to use it. And I live by that little trolley, and it goes up and down Perkins and over the overpass every day, and there's never anybody in it. Why? And you know, I mean, I can't say I've ridden it. We we have a habit in this city of driving our cars. It's the way the city's laid out. There's really nowhere you can get on foot unless you go walk around the LSU lakes. It's it's a shame. And, but but, but they you... haven't advertised it either. Mm -hmm. I mean, one of the things they need to do and should have done six months ago when they rolled out the service was to really heavily promote it and encourage people. You know, take it to the farmer's market. Take it to dinner on a Friday night so you don't have to drive. I agree. They haven't done any of that. And I've asked them. I've gotten data from them on the ridership numbers, and they are low. And in fact, they're, they're not as low as, as I would think that they would be just from what I've observed anecdotally. Mm -hmm. But I'll assume that their numbers are correct. So, you know, they have no Mirabito's. Mirabito won't put out anything phony. He's so, listen, he's a guy who's not, he's not interested in anybody. Uh, with badges on coming and knocking on his door. Uh, I believe that. So. So, so you have a handful of riders every day. They have to get those numbers up, you know? Yeah. And I don't know why they haven't done more to promote it. I think you have to give people more of a reason than that, though. I mean, Tiger, Touchdown Express works yeah. because parking around the stadium or on campus is so arduous anyway. So this is easy. I, I can go to LaBerge and catch the bus and then drive. But going to the market, eh, I think I'd rather take my car. Right. Maybe going downtown might work a little better depending on what shows are there. Well, and I think Super like the Live Fest. After Five. Live they, After Five. They got a bump last spring. They'll, yeah. they'll get a bump again yeah. in the fall. I think that that helps. Little things like, there's a reason why you don't use the trolley. You have a car. Mm -hmm. So it means like, it's kind of hard when you've never, like in New Orleans, it's a part of being there depending on where you are. You use public transit. In Houston, uh, you know, and Upper even East not Coast. that. I mean, truth be told, not even that much in well, New Orleans. Probably you know, not. You that can't much even in get on a streetcar yeah. in New Orleans anymore because they're all packed with tourists. Yeah, I mean, we used to yeah. ride the streetcar when I was in high school before you could drive, but you I, really I, don't take it very much, and nobody rides the public bus in New Orleans anymore either. Are we expecting too much from cats? In other words, are we expecting too much change? in such a short amount of time, seeing as how the tax was only passed in 2011. I think some people are. 
I definitely think some people are. One thing I think is disappointing is that the accountability um, that groups like Together Baton Rouge had yeah. promised us, what happened to their quarterly scorecard? They sort of fell off the map. We haven't heard from them in months. I, I don't think know so. why they're no longer. I mean, that millage was very controversial. Yeah. And certain promises were made, and they haven't all been kept. Yeah. But that's not to say Katz has done a bad job. I mean, I think it's, it's incumbent upon us and on the watchdog groups to hold their feet to the fire. I think that's and fair. And also to get up and, and to use the bus. That's fair, but the the part about getting up and using the bus, I, I don't see it changing. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I have people who work there that I respect a great deal, that I want to see successful. I'm not parking my car to ride yeah. the bus. I mean, it's and I'm just going to, I'm being honest. Not yeah. that I wouldn't no, if I, I needed to, or if I was in a city where I'm moving around, I absolutely would. But like moving around Baton Rouge, eh, no. It's hard. Yeah, because I'm so accustomed to the way that I've been doing it, and I'd be a hypocrite to say that about others if not acknowledging that about myself. Well, and really the way it's laid out, I mean, where what? Well, it doesn't even run out to where I am. Well, there are no buses out where I am anyway. There are buses that run near where my office is, but I'm already at work, so Mm -hmm. you know. Uh, Let's talk about a a couple of other subjects, and and then we'll wrap up here. Uh, The governor's race. Uh, It is going to be very, very interesting. It is. The you know Governor Jindal is leaving 180 degrees away from where he came in in terms of popularity and expectation. Mm-hmm. I mean, it has been a precipitous fall off. And he's also ideologically so far yeah. from where he started yeah. out as well. Yeah. So much of what he campaigned on and advocated for and believed in, he threw out the window mm-hmm. so that he could go after that sliver of voters in Iowa that he hoped would get him, you know, all 30 of them. Right. So the, the roster right now includes a U.S. Senator, a Lieutenant Governor. Um, what is Scott Angel doing right now? He's on the Public Service Commission. Uh, he's not even on the Public Service Commission anymore, is he? No, not anymore. Uh, and and uh, John, John Bell, Bell Edwards. Edwards, the only Democrat in the race. And that basically is the sum total of why he's getting the percentage he's getting is mm-hmm. because of the letter next to his name. Yes. Uh, to me, I don't think anything that we see yet is real. Quite frankly, I think the dark horse is Darden. I think Darden will do a lot better than people expect. But what's your what's your expectation or what are you seeing rather? Well, I would hope that Darden would do a lot better than people would expect. Um, I keep hearing that Vitter's negatives are very, very high and that that um, makes him much more vulnerable than he would seem. But I also feel like there's that certain inevitability factor mm-hmm. about the Vitter candidacy. Yeah. He's so strong. He's so powerful. Yep. And he's got so much money. That's right. And... You know, I, I don't know to what extent that sways voters. I stopped watching political commercials so long ago. I don't <laughs> I don't feel like I can at all relate to the average voter. Right. Um, but I also know the business people that have been throwing money at him mm-hmm. all the while complaining. But they feel like, well, yep. they have to because, because he's going to be the next governor. Now, will that translate into votes at the polls? I don't know. Maybe they'll go in know. there and... End up pulling the, the lever for, for Darden. This is likely not to be an Obama election. In, in, in other words, the election last year right. between Senator Landrieu and then Congressman Cassidy, a big portion of what it was about was President Obama. Mm-hmm. And President Obama was not popular here. He's more popular than Governor Jindal, but he wasn't very popular here. And Cassidy used that to his advantage and his messaging to keep his base motivated. 
I thought Senator Landrieu should have invited President Obama here because she Absolutely. left a lot of her base home yeah. by not inviting he or the first lady here. This year is going to be a lot about Louisiana and the major problems barreling down the mountainside towards us. And who can best message what those problems are and how they fix it? Yeah. No, I think that's going to be I a agree. big part of it. And I mean, if there's anything positive to say about this, and, and one of the early debates that I sat through, it may have been the first one of all four candidates. Is that Shreveport? They, no, it was here. It was so here? maybe it was the first one here. But they okay. talked about transportation and infrastructure. And you've never heard a more enlightened and intelligent debate among candidates. Yeah, yeah. And they stuck to the issues. And all four of them really had good ideas and really knew what they were talking about. Do you know? And it was just so refreshing. Yeah. To hear. But that was in January before <laughs> anybody. And it was just a bunch of engineers right. and construction guys in there. Are you guys going to give a right. forum or something here? We are not going to give a forum, but we will cover it. We'll do a, a special issue with profiles and candidates. Um, you know, it, it's just going to depend, I think, too, on how negative yeah. Darden gets, yeah. how much Vitter's past personal problems come up. You know, that... That seems to really resonate negatively with, with female voters, and so we'll just have to see. Finally here, because I want to give you enough time to talk about this, crime in Baton Rouge. I mean, we've talked about the school system and business and what's going on here, and we kind of made a reference to the mm -hmm. district attorney, Hiller Moore. But uh, crime has been lower on the subject matter totem pole this year because there hasn't been the, and I mean this in a, in a, in a respectful way, not yeah. disrespectful, not a flashy kind of news story involving crime Thank in God, Baton Rouge. Right. Thank God. Uh, but what about it here? It still happens. It's still going on. It still happens. It, it goes on a lot. You know, it's interesting. We were talking about this at lunch today and how there's a perception, I think, among many of us, a false perception that we're so much safer here yeah. than we are, for instance, in New Orleans. Yeah. You know, And we were saying when you're in New Orleans, you're always looking over your shoulder when you get out of your car. You're so afraid of being carjacked or mugged. And here you're really not. But when you look at the data, you know, there have been a lot of shootings and a lot of killings here right. this year. Not as many have spilled over, like we said, into the white community or mm -hmm. the middle class community or the heavily traveled um commercial areas yeah so but you know it's just a matter of time until until one is um, you think I enough th is being done to address it in a way that i, I don't know how i, I don't, don't know what know the answer how. is i mean I've, I've tempted to say no i mean there's never enough being done to address crime um but i mean this is a problem that is systemic you know it's endemic it's across the whole country it's but isn't not just isn't here. it true statistically now that there are fewer murders across the country now and then maybe in the in the decade that precedes this one i don't know what the numbers are exactly right now i do know that it ebbs and flows I yeah mean, it was much worse for instance in the early 90s right. than it was in the late 90s yeah. and then yeah. it went up again and then it went down again so you know and the fbi which keeps the uniform <laughs> crime statistics yeah. have yeah. even said they don't really know what makes some years or some you know period of years so much worse than others yeah but we're still on a trajectory that's not that's not very encouraging sometimes um, i mean it, you know but it's yeah. it's the same old culprits it's it's the lack of education it's the poverty it's the gun culture it's the drugs you know um children being raised by children in homes without parents mm -hmm. um and and a, and a pervasive media culture and i don't mean the news media or fox or cnn but i'm talking about the videos, you know, that are oh, so violent, the television. Yeah. I mean, this is insidious. But sometimes like, the TVs can the be time. bad with that too. Now it's it's got oh yeah. sure, but yeah. I mean, it, it it's got to it it, it yeah. becomes insidious, almost and glorifying so, glorifying it. violence. Yeah. I mean, it just does. 
And so, so how do you how do you get around all that? I mean, if I knew that, I'd be king. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and and uh, with what you're doing, how you you're so passionate about what you're doing, are you having fun? Sometimes. Sometimes I really do have fun with it. I love to write. Yeah. I still really really love to write. That's what I started out doing before I ever went into broadcast. And so I really enjoy a lot of the writing and um and digging. Yeah. Yeah. There there are bigger there are bigger issues that I'd like to write about, you know, not so narrowly focused. I mean, I think one thing that the Baton Rouge Business Report excels in is sort of its hyper local focus mm-hmm. and there's really nobody else doing it the way we're doing it. So it's a niche. So I want to do it well while I'm in that niche. But but there are bigger issues and, and subjects that I'd like to tackle. Well, we appreciate you coming on. Will you come back? Absolutely. Stephanie Regal, editor of the Baton Rouge Business Report, and that's going to get it for us on another edition of the Clay Young Show here on Podcast. 225.com and on iTunes. If you're not using an Apple device, you can get it directly from the show page at podcast225.com. Tell your friends about us. The numbers are growing every week. Not satisfied yet. Got to keep it moving. Hopefully you've enjoyed this show this week, and we'll catch you next week for another edition here on podcast225.com. Thanks for listening. Join us next week for another edition of The Clay Young Show.